Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing, and today I'm joined by Tom Kapper, who is a consultant at Distilled. Tom, how are you? Not bad yourself, Andy? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty good. Um, let's start off. Uh, surprise, surprise. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Tom, and a little bit about Distilled. Sure. So I'll start with uh, Distilled. So Distilled started out as a, as a web dev agency 11 years ago, way before my time. Uh, then, but over, over time, sort of became better known for technical SEO expertise. Mm. And these days, we're a uh, we're a, a broader uh, digital marketing agency. So we do, you know, as well as the technical SEO that we've always done, we do CRO, analytics, PPC, creative, and digital PR. And we run three annual conferences around uh, digital marketing and SEO. We have a training program uh, and a blog as well. Mm-hmm. But in terms of myself, I. I studied uh, economics at university and found distilled a careers fair in um, in 2012. And so I originally worked with them as a data analysis yeah. uh, intern uh, before my final year of study. And I liked it so much that I came back here in 2013, uh, joined the consulting team, which is where I am now. I thought for a minute you were going to say, I liked it so much I bought the company. <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> Um, now, Google Analytics, it's a topic that we've covered quite a lot recently. Um, I wanted your take on it because there's a, the, the title of today's show is Everything You Didn't Know About Google Analytics. Um, there are some hidden quirks, aren't there? Things that we ought to know that aren't that well known. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's we, we all use uh, Google Analytics so much and it's so ubiquitous. We sort of just take it completely for granted and, as you know, the the source of uh, how everything's supposed to be done, and we don't really question it that much. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, as you say, there are quite a lot of things that sort of go on beneath the surface that we you know, we don't really think about that we should, that have quite meaningful effects on decisions we actually make in the real world. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen Google Analytics data presented without any caveats in you know, uh, pitch meetings, in funding rounds, in discussions around whether someone is going to get promoted or fired, mm. uh, certainly about whether an agency contract is going to continue, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, and, or, or just on a basic everyday basis, uh, you know, a lot of companies have enormous ad spends and they justify how they do that spending with uh, Google Analytics data. 
So, you know, it's pretty important stuff to get right and understand, actually, but we just sort of take it at face value instead. So, yeah, I mean, probably uh, the biggest things are around how Google Analytics has tried to mimic um, sort of real-world patterns and how we visit shops and things and convert that into its... Uh, into its schema for how people visit websites. So it has this you know, system of hits and sessions and users, which has just sort of become the, the standard. I mean, I don't think Google Analytics was the first platform to use, uh, to use that kind of system. But actually, you know, how, how you define those, those types of interaction, those sort of levels of interaction, are kind of arbitrary in a way. Mm. Um, so for example, in the real world, if I visit... Uh, a shop one day, and then I visit the same shop uh, the next day. You would probably want to call that two visits. Yes. Uh, to the shop, so Google Analytics, you know, follows that logic, calls it two visits or two sessions uh, these days. Mm. And the way it does that is it just goes by calendar date. That has a massive unintended consequence, which is that if you visit the website at eleven fifty nine and start your session, yeah. you're actually going to have two sessions, one of which starts at whatever page you're on, at, um, you know, whatever the first page you clicked onto was after midnight. So, uh, for visit for websites which are normally twenty four seven, a lot of them do get a lot of traffic during the night. Yeah, a lot of them will be international and have their time zone set in the country they're based, which isn't necessarily where all the visitors come from. Can actually have quite a significant uh, effect. And there's also a similar parallel with uh, real-world stores mm. in terms of people leaving and coming back in. So you know, if, I, if I walk out of Tesco's, go to Costa, and then come back to Tesco's half an hour later, Tesco's probably wants to call that two visits. And you know, it's the same with a, a website. So we have this inactivity thing, except the trouble is with a, uh, with a website, when we, when we come back, we're going to come back wherever we left off, potentially, you know, in the same tab it might be. And that can end up with us having a, a loss of attribution data because I'm going to go on and convert after that period of inactivity. It'll be in a second session and it'll be attributed to some page on our website rather than you know, the PPC spend that brought us around in the, in the first place. Now, attribution's a bit tricky in, in Google Analytics, isn't it? Tell us a bit about that sort of non-directed traffic and stuff like that. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's been a bit of a thing recently around uh, so-called... Uh, dark traffic, which is where uh, search traffic or social traffic, particularly from uh, secure search, some people say, but also from uh, in a, a majority of cases, I would say from social apps and email apps, uh, you get traffic that isn't actually direct reporting as direct. Uh, and then on the other side, because uh, although people assume Google Analytics uses last click attribution it actually uses last non-direct click attribution which is probably uncoincidentally quite flattering to google's own uh channels mm. so on the one hand we have this data that we have these visits that aren't direct being attributed to direct and then on the other hand we have these visits that are actually direct you know it could be someone using a bookmark or typing it into their browser uh being attributed to whatever their previous session was because of last non-direct click, which is the attribution model that Google Analytics uses. Uh, so, you know, the whole uh, system of measuring how people got to our website and made these conversions, which is you now a huge part of Google Analytics use case, obviously, mm. uh, is actually ridiculously fuzzy. 
Now, how easy is it, Tom, to uh, effectively fake data um, in Google Analytics? I'm interested in this because you mentioned earlier about, you know, sort of board decisions are made on Google Analytics interpretations. Right, yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely something where I would urge a little bit of caution, uh, especially if you're in a vertical where you think maybe your competitors aren't the nicest people. Mm. Um, but it's always been possible to fake Google Analytics data in your own account or in anybody else's account. You know, it's always been possible to take your own tracking code or someone else's tracking code, put it on some high traffic page, and just generate a load of bump that will end up in that account and to fake data that way. But since uh, the, me- the measurement protocol was introduced with Universal Analytics a few years ago now, it's now ridiculously easy to do that. And you can, you can fake it in very convincing ways as well. You know, over time, you can simulate pretty much anything you want that could you know, try to muck around with your competitor's ad spend, which mm. is often driven or at least used, uh, uses decisions based on analytics data. Or you could, um, you could make it look like they needed to you know, invest in some product or country that's actually not doing anything at all. Uh, or you could just you know, falsify data and pictures so it looks like your business is more valuable than actually it is. Mm. Uh, obviously, it uh, goes out saying I encourage you not to do any of these things, but you should know that they're possible. Uh, and this is what I say, you, know, you shouldn't, um, shouldn't take analytics data at face value. That there, there is almost no way of getting data about your website, actually, that's completely bulletproof. But uh, if you are worried about this kind of thing, a good place to start would be logs. Yeah. Um, you, people will find ways of mucking around with that, you know, whether it be by spamming your server or whatever it might be. But uh, at least you can compare the two and try and spot the inconsistencies. Now, this whole subject of uh, misleading metrics is an interesting one. I know that there's certain metrics to be wary of, aren't there? I mean, time on page is one of them, isn't it, Tom? Uh, you're absolutely right, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this is actually a massive pet hate of mine. Uh, so this is, you know, moving away from uh, sort of ways in which Google Analytics doesn't work quite how it expects, and over to it just not doing its job very well. Um, engagement metrics are a really interesting subject because you know, obviously I come from uh, an SEO background and the big craze for some time in SEO has been uh, this sort of top of funnel content, you know, content that's all about getting you know, links and engagement and this kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but engagement is you know, not that easy to... To measure, you can tell how many people saw something, but not you know whether they actually spent any time looking at it, and maybe it made some kind of lasting brand impression. Yeah, yeah. And time on page has you you would think one of the best ways to look at this, you know, intuitively. Except there's sort of a a problem here, not just with Google Analytics, but with time on page in general, and that's that analytics platforms have no idea how long you're going to linger on the last page you visit. Mm. So say I come to your website, uh, I land on some amazing blog post you've written, and then I spend 10 minutes reading that blog post, then I close the tab and continue with my day. What, what the analytics platform has seen in that, you know, that good engaged visit is one hit when you first loaded the page, and they don't yeah. know whether you looked at it for zero seconds yeah. or 
you know, five years. Yes. There's absolutely no way for them to tell the difference if, if no other hits are being fired on that page. Yeah. And Google Analytics actually tries to bodge this by instead of, you know, you'd think uh, t- time on page would just be, you know, the total time on the site uh, divided by the number of page views. You know, it's an average yeah. in effect. Yeah. But actually, they do time on page divided by page views minus exits. So they're basically to try and disinclude that last uh, interaction where they're just assuming you spent zero seconds on a page you might be viewing for 10 minutes. So they just remove that from the metric altogether, which means that then even when people do put in extra interactions to try and capture how long people were on that page that they were on when they eventually left, yes, it actually get, ends up even more misleading than it started because Google Analytics is then mucking with the average to try and bodge its original uh, solution. So essentially, uh, in our experience, time on page can actually be reported time on page in Google Analytics can actually just be completely uncorrelated uh, and quite wildly wrong versus any intuitive measurement of uh, time on page. You know, I've seen sites that claimed an average time on page of uh, you know, 17 minutes where, you know, it was closer to 10 seconds and pretty much vice versa. The, it's, it's just, and time on site is no better, I'm afraid. It's just uh, almost completely broken metric uh, because of that inability to capture later um, later interactions. Yeah. There, there are some alternative engagement metrics, obviously. I mean, bounce rate is a very popular one, but mm-hmm. that can be quite challenging as well because if you're looking at a, uh, say, an, a piece of information on your site, uh, a lower bounce rate might not always be better because maybe you're looking for people to find the answer to their questions straight away, and that's what a good brand experience would be. Mm. Um, so bounce rate, you know, it, it's useful, but you have to be kind of careful with it. Uh, and then the other sort of more robust engagement metrics like scroll depth, like micro-conversions such as uh, email sign-up, uh, they require uh, you to do some setup yourself. Just remind us, uh, Tom, the definition of scroll depth. Right, of course. Sorry. So sc- scroll depth basically is how far down a page you got before you left it. Right, so yes. obviously most pages continue beneath the fold. So you can set you can set it up so that as you scroll down, it fires events into Google Analytics, which you could actually record as goals if you wanted. Yeah. Uh, so for example, you could have a goal for someone getting to the right to the bottom of a blog post. And micro-conversions, are these a bit like when you set sort of like mini goals or sort of Yeah, absolutely. Sort of so, idea? Like, so on a site where a macro-conversion might be, I mean, a really simple case, e-commerce, a macro-conversion is buying a product. Yeah. Uh, a micro-conversion might be uh, signing up to uh, some kind of reminder about when this product is on offer or you know, signing up to their newsletter or creating an account, something like that. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? 
then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. So this is all useful stuff. So it's worth knowing about these these weirdnesses with Google Analytics. So further, because our, our, our listeners love um, tips and tricks. Um, further tips and tricks, I'm especially thinking about when you're sort of going through your Google Analytics reports and things. What sort of things should you be aware of? What sort of things should you be looking at? Uh, that's a good question. I think that obviously analytics audits are a whole topic in their own right. But I think on on theme with some of the stuff I've mentioned uh, today, uh, I, would, I would encourage you to have a look at your landing page report yeah. and see if you can find one or both of your checkout page listed as a landing page mm-hmm. or uh, in brackets, not set. Because those are both kind of interesting cases where obviously it makes absolutely no sense for people to be uh, arriving via the checkout or via or have a session with no landing page at all. Mm. Uh, but pretty most analytics accounts that I see feature these quite prominently, often as some of the highest converting landing pages, in fact. And there are some quite common and easily fixed reasons why these come about. So in the case of the landing page being the uh, the checkout for a whole bunch of conversions, yeah. that, that can often be people just having a think in the middle of their conversion process, maybe going away and have a cup of tea, particularly for high-value products. Yeah. So that can just be you know an inactivity problem. So something you could consider doing there is extending the inactivity period. But more commonly, uh, it can happen when people have separate payment subdomains or when you, you take people off-site to pay on something like PayPal. And if you don't have your uh, cross-domain or cross-subdomain tracking set up properly, or if you don't have PayPal excluded as a referrer, then that can trigger the start of a new session. And you end up with a session that contains the checkout and the conversion, but no attribution data, and another yeah. session with the attribution data, but no conversion. Uh, not set is a more interesting one because that's a session with no pages in it. Yeah. So there are two sort of interesting ways that can come about. One of them is if people on the last page they're, they're on on your website, if they um, if they go inactive on that for 30 minutes, then they come back and they scroll around, maybe click on some stuff without loading a new page, but they set off an event, you'll get a, a session with an event but no uh, page view. You could also, if you're doing some tracking of offline interactions, it could trigger that. That's sort of the hopefully why it happens, but in reality, 90% of the times we see this, it's because people have some legacy of their old tracking code hanging around on their website. So, for example, we'll see people who have updated a universal analytics tracking code years ago, yeah. but there'll be some weird widget on their site that still has old-fashioned tracking code, and it's just you know creating sessions in its own right with just these events in it and no landing page. Uh, just completely useless uh, and uh, lost micro conversions. 
So it's worth keeping There's... your website clean and up to date, isn't it? <laughs> well, basically, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a lesson of a lot of these things, isn't it? Yeah. I'm glad um, that I'm not the only one that spends about five or ten minutes uh, sort of wiggling my fingers and taking deep breaths before I press buy on expensive items. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've spent days sometimes, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just, just leave it and you come back a, a week later and you find it's gone up in price. Especially, anyway, let's not go yeah. into Amazon. Whoops, I mentioned Amazon. Um, I know you've got some interesting thoughts on, uh, under the sort of topic of uh, tips and tricks on uh, advanced segments, haven't you, and sequences? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, I just think that advanced segments are, I mean, pretty much everyone who uses Google Analytics a lot uses exact, uses advanced segments, but they're kind of an underutilized feature at the same time, mm. because because of this feature of them, which is you know a feature within a feature, which is sequences, which just allows you to do stuff that you couldn't do anywhere else mm. in Google Analytics. So for example, you could make an uh, advanced segment using the sequences menu that said something like uh, a session starts with uh, any user interaction and then at some point later on there's the checkout page and then at some point later after the checkout page there's the FAQ page all within one session. Mm. So what that what you've done there is you've created a segment of sessions in which potential buyers got cold feet because they looked at or buyers remorse because they looked at the checkout. Then in the same session, after having been to the checkout, they looked at the FAQ page. There's almost always uh, some of these on an e-commerce website that has an FAQ page. Yes. And it can be really useful for your CRO to try and figure out, you know, what how people got to the site and what products they were looking at. And uh, what they did between the checkout and the FAQ page, you know, what site search terms they use, that kind of thing, to try and figure out, you know, what was it that led them to have those doubts. But that's relatively basic use case. If you want to be a bit fancier, you could say, you know, I'm interested in users who arrived at the site via Google, then subsequently arrived at the site via email. And basically what you've done there is created a segment of uh, your marketing strategy having gone having gone right, so it's a great way of figuring out which of your landing pages are really working for you in terms of converting one-time organic visitors into people who want to receive emails from you and feel positive about you as a, a website. Now, user flow reports um, again. Is there, are there some sort of customizations you can do there to help uh, with this sort of issue of uh, sort of misrepresentation of data? Or even misrepresentation of data. Get my teeth in. I think user flow reports are just another example of this sort of um, commonly used yet underused feature because people often sort of take a glance at them but not really play around with them that much. Yeah. If you um, if you go into a user flow report and then you click on one of the big green blocks and just click on explore through this page, then that's something that people do reasonably often, and it just shows you all the traffic moving in and out of an individual page on your website. It'd be quite useful for understanding which are the most prominent aspects of the nav, what people are trying to do on that page, how people get to that page, that kind of thing. But if, but when you do that, an extra button appears above the the block you're focusing on, mm. which looks like a little pen. And it's actually kind of glitchy, and it often overlaps with other text and stuff. It seems like Google themselves have forgotten about it. <laughs> but if you click on that pen, it, it'll allow you to use regex to define a page group. So, for example, you could then define, for example, all of your 
uh, all of your product pages. And then you could say, I want to look at how people come in and out of all of my product pages rather than just some individual URL. And that makes user flow reports immensely more powerful as, uh, as a feature. Wow. Well, best of luck using regexes to, <laughs> to define a page. <laughs> right. We all love regexes, don't we? Well, Tom, thanks so much for coming on. Um, some really good tips there. How can our listeners find out more about you and more about Distilled? Well, Distilled, of course, has a website where you can find our blog, newsletter, conferences, training platform, etc. And that's distilled.net. Uh, but me personally, you can follow on Twitter. I'm at THCapper. T-H-C-A-P-P-E-R. Fantastic. And uh, thank you for our fantastic listeners for listening. Show notes are in the usual place, sitevisibility.com forward slash IM podcast. I'm still saying forward slash, aren't I? It's just slash. We all know which way the slash goes on, on the <laughs> internet, don't we? Um, if you want to connect with me, with me personally, I'm Dr. Pod, D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D on t- Twitter and LinkedIn. And um, if you've got any questions that you want to ask, please send those to podcast at sitevisibility.com. That's the email or the magic telephone line is plus four four one two seven three two five six one five oh. Well, that's all from me, Andy. And it's all from Tom. Thanks, Andy. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.